welcome everybody. It's great to, to have some visitors with us as well, and you're particularly welcome. It's great to see you. Welcome. Um, my name's Mick. Uh, I, I, I'm the, the, the elder here, lead elder here. Um, on the original program for today, uh, I was due to be talking about worship, and last week it was to have been on love. We were, we're, going, we're going through a series at the moment. We're trying to identify the things that, that we, that you, need to be teaching a new or nearly believer. When I say you, I don't mean it in a sort of pointy finger sort of way, but I, I do mean it that you, yes, you, you could lead in your home or in someone else's home a new believer or new believers in some basic discipleship, that you could do that. Okay, so when I use the word you, it's not in a pointy finger sort of way, but it is encouraging you to think, yes, this is me, I could do this, okay? So, you know, just imagine that you have led someone to the Lord. Someone has come to you and said, can you just tell me, you know, why is it you're a Christian? And, and you tell them, you know, why you're a Christian? And they say, yeah, you know, I, I'd like to believe that. And you, and you could lead them in a prayer of faith. You know, you could explain to them about Jesus. What method might we use to do that? Three circles. Yeah, you know, we're getting the message home. The three circles. We might use the three circles. If you're a visitor and you don't know what the three circles is, Google it. You'll find it. It's good. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, so, so you, could, you could perhaps, you've got someone they want to know about Jesus and you could meet perhaps in your home or maybe in their home and help establish them in the basics of their new found faith in Jesus. That's the, that's the purpose of this preaching series. That's what we're doing. It is about equipping people so that uh, they can be established. Um, so, you know, you would need to teach them that Jesus commands that they love. One of the things that you would want to teach them is that, that Jesus says you should love. You should love God, love other believers, and love the lost, which of course is the threefold purpose that we've been bringing. Loving God, loving one another, loving the lost. Okay, and we also would need to teach them to worship God, to give him praise and thanksgiving for all of his kindness, grace, and mercy. These are some very basic things that we would be teaching. Now, now, last week, of course, the focus was changed in this series because we had the great joy of baptizing three people in the baptistry that's sort of underneath here. And, and it was a wonderful occasion, wasn't it? Tina, it was great to have to see you baptized. It was such a privilege, and Peter, to baptize, to baptize you. You know, and just those baptisms that we had. It was just really, really special to do. Um, but today, so I want to try and catch up a little bit. I want to incorporate both preachers into one preach, love and worship. Okay, And that's actually not difficult to do because what's one of the ways that we show our love for God? Well, it's worship, isn't it? That's, one of, that's how we show our love for God. We worship him. So it's not difficult, actually, to, um, to, to marry these two subjects together. And if I... Of course, if I was helping a new believer, I probably would take love and worship as separate topics, just so as not to overload 
a new believer with too much information all in one go. But, you know, if I'm speaking about loving God, then I certainly will be speaking about worship. Um, and, um, you know, this preach, therefore, encapsulates all that I've been bringing, all that we've been bringing, those who have been preaching, bringing to the church about the purpose of the church, to love God, to love each other, and to love the lost, our threefold purpose. You know, up until now, we've been looking at teaching a new or nearly believer some simple steps of obedience and wisdom. So there were things that were, were commands that needed to be obeyed, repent and believe. Be baptized. Pray. When you pray, pray in this way, Jesus said. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. The Great Commission. We've been, we were teaching on some things that were commands and also some things that were just basically wisdom. You know, read the Bible. In that, you will find guidance from God. You will hear from God. You will understand more about God. Read the Bible. But actually, in this topic, in one sense, we're looking at something that's much bigger, much wider, much more all-encompassing. We're, we're here, we're teaching the new believer about the very purpose of being saved and being part of a church. We're teaching them to love God. We're teaching them to love each other and to love the lost. That's our very purpose. So, this will switch on, if it will. Yeah, lights will come on. That's helpful. Um, let's start by taking a new believer to the greatest commandment that we see in Matthew 22. Uh -huh. It's not going to work at the moment. Both of them are pushed forward. Any joy? Yeah. Yeah. Great. The great greatest commandment, the greatest, if you see it in the Bible, it often says, call the headline, the greatest month. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So firstly, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You know, in our culture, we say that we love with our hearts. Just listen to any number of songs in the pop charts, or even go back to Frank Sinatra in the 40s or Ed Sheeran this week. Whoever you're going to listen to, it's probably going to be about loving with all our hearts. You know, but, but Jesus said we love with more than just our hearts. It's, it involves our very being. It's our entirety. It's our thinking and our choices. We love with more than just our hearts. And in fact, Romans 12 says this, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Love expressed in worship is more than just an emotion or a song. It involves choice. It involves thought, right thinking. It involves sacrifice. You see those words in that Romans 12 passage. It also involves thankfulness. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, we think, wow, but actually the bit before it, we are receiving it. Woo. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. We want to be thankful. We want to bring worship to God. So, so we need to help new believers to understand that having become a Christian, the proper response to the grace of God that's been shown to them in their salvation through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the proper response is to love and worship God. And there can be an element of sacrifice in that. There's an element of choice in that. There's an element of lifestyle in that. There's all sorts of things that, that you could unpack in that. One story that you might point a new believer towards, and it was used last week in the context of baptism, but it actually also is seen in the context of worship, is uh, you know, so Paul's response to the grace of God as a choice and as a sacrifice when Paul and Silas are thrown into prison in Acts chapter 16. They've, been, they've, they've caused turmoil by preaching about Jesus. The town is in uproar, and they've taken them into prison. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. So they were stuck in the worst bit of the prison, the smelliest bit, the bit where there's no air, no light. Pretty grim. They've been beaten. They've still got wounds on their backs. But what do they do? At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
That's a right response, isn't it? Difficult, challenging, but that's the response. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, if I had time, I would have gone through this passage together using the sword of the spirit model. Can, can anyone remember that, the sword of the spirit model that I talked about a few weeks ago? What was in it? Can anyone give me one thing that was in it? Promise. Are there any promises in it? Anything else? Let's see if we can piece this together. Any commands? Any commands to be obeyed? Any promises to be claimed? Anything? Let's piece this together because we get it in our brains if we, if we piece it together. Uh, no, that, that, that does come into it in a sense with sins to, be, sins to be avoided. Sins to be avoided was one of them. Yeah. Sorry? Well, there was, there was speck. Anyone remember what speck stood for? Sins? Tell him. There was love the lost in, 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 the, in the purpose of the church. That's right. So there was sins, promises, examples to be followed, and commands to be obeyed. What does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about people? Those were the kind, they were the, the questions that we were looking at. And these are like, you know, I'm giving these as tools. That's why I keep coming back to them. They are tools in a toolbox. You know, there are so many things. When you get workmen around to do stuff, one of the things they have are all the right tools. You know, unlike us, unlike me, I don't have all the right tools. I've got a toolbox, you know, and it might have a few screwdrivers in it. It might even have an adjustable spanner in it. It might have all sorts of But when you've got the right tools, you can do the job. You know, now, you know my, my sort of, my theology of, of, of DIY is, you know, if it moves and shouldn't, cable tie, you know. And if, if it doesn't move and should, WD-40. I mean, that's, you know, what more do you need? You know, th th those two things. But, you know, when you've got the right tools, you can do the job. And so I'm trying to give, give you, give me some tools that we can use when things happen, when we get these opportunities, we've got the right tools. So, so Want to tell someone about Jesus? Three circles. That's a tool to use. You know, um, you you uh, you want to you want to lead some someone in discipleship. Well, all the tools are what we've been going through across all these weeks. And at the end of it, I'll I'll give out something that's got some of these topics and, and readings that we can use. Um, you know, um, if uh, if you want to do a study with someone. We can use the sword of the spirit. What does it tell us about people? What does it tell us about God? Are there any uh, uh, promises to keep? Any sins to avoid? Are there any examples to follow? And are there any commands to be obeyed? All of these things help us. They're all tools. Okay. And if we've got some tools in our toolbox, then we, we know what to do. We're not kind of floundering around thinking, oh, what can I do? We've got some tools in our toolbox and we can use them. Okay. So, you know, but there'd be, you might like to try that in your connect groups at some point, look at this passage in Acts 6 and, and look at what does it tell us about God, about people. And then, you know, there's, there's loads of good teaching to bring out from this passage. I mean, so 
how did they express their worship? Well, in this case, it was through singing hymns, praying and singing hymns. Okay? Um, who was listening? And what does that tell you about the potential of worship? Well, the other prisoners were listening. And, and, and you assume, actually, that this was quite evangelistic, that actually the other prisoners were being affected by this worship. And it was causing them to think about Jesus. Worship can be evangelistic. Um, what, how might God respond to our worship? Well, in this case, of course, you know, it might be that there's some powerful breakthrough in response to worship. As we worship God, there may be powerful breakthrough in all sorts of situations. So there's all sorts of teaching that might come out of a passage like this for a new believer. In a very practical way, how might we help a new believer to get started in worshipping God? Remember, worship is alien to those who don't know God. If you don't know God, our worship must be very strange. It must at times seem like we're singing songs to an invisible man. From their perspective, and that might be particularly difficult for some men, actually, as well, singing songs to a, an invisible man. Um, when I sat in some training sessions as to how we might do this, we actually used our smartphones. You know, many people have them. One person on their smartphone played a worship song on YouTube. Some of the others in the group found the lyrics on their smartphone so that they could follow the song, and if they had confidence to, join in. And if you were discipling a new believer, you might consider doing something like that, just to help people get into worship, because worship is really important. We need to be teaching people that they need to worship, and we need to help them to do that. You know, you might start your time of worship with prayers of gratitude, Thanking God. What's, what's God done in your life? What sort of week have you had? Is there anything to be grateful for? Let's give God thanks for the good things that God has done in our lives. You know, count your blessings and say thank you to the Lord. And then perhaps, as I say, use your phone to help sing songs of worship. You may have even more creative ways of helping a new believer enter into worship. But we want to be teaching new believers that they, they need proper response to all that God has done is to worship him. We want to be those that are helping people to grow in worship. And so whilst we know that worship is more than just singing hymns and songs to God, singing to God is, is a good way to start. You know, I spend a lot of time, and I hope, I, I hope you do as well, listening to and singing along to songs of worship. It used to be on CDs. These days it tends to be on Alexa. Um, you know, last week, Teresa and I were in France, and uh, we were driving back from lunch in a lovely coastal fishing village, and we were playing on the way back a CD in the car of worship, and we were just singing along at the tops of our voices. But, you know, it's the most natural thing to do for us as believers in Christ. We, we, it should be the most natural thing for us to do is to worship God. I'd encourage you, get into the habit of just listening to songs. Get, you know, get some CDs if you haven't all online if you've got a computer just go on youtube and just worship god sing along just just get that in your heart in your spirit
Okay, now let's go back to Jesus' command and see about how we love others. Jesus said the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commands. So love your neighbor as yourself. Now remember, this is in the law. This is under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you like, that was the way that you got to be with God. That was the way you got to heaven, to keep those two commandments. Now, that's not how we get to heaven. We have been given the grace of God through Jesus Christ. We've been given forgiveness of our sins. Our salvation comes through Jesus, not through trying to keep these laws. However, Jesus... In the new agreement, in the new covenant, in the New Testament, makes this a new commandment in John 13. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There it is on a banner on the wall. Okay, that's important to us. That's what we want to be about a people who love one another. And he repeats this and builds upon it in John 15. My command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And that's to you. That is that is not just a general generic thing. That's to you personally. You sitting here in this hall this morning, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then just to finish it off at the end, this is my command. Love each other. So you get the message. He says it again. Under the law, we were to love God and love our neighbours. Our neighbours, presumably, are those around us. But if you remember, there was the, sort of the clever clogs who tried to say, okay, Lord, but who is my neighbour? was the question that Jesus was asked when he said that. Who is my neighbor? And how did Jesus respond? Anyone remember? What story did he tell? The Good Samaritan. Yeah, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, just in case anybody doesn't know, I'll just very quickly, the story is about a man who's on the road to Jericho, a, a Jewish man on the road to Jericho, and he gets robbed and beaten up by some people on the road. And various Jewish people come past 
you know, and some of them were like politicians, some of them were religious leaders, some of them were just normal Jewish people, but all of them ignored him. No one came to his help, but the one who came to his help was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans and Jews didn't get on with each other. The Jews hated the Samaritans, but it was the Samaritan that came to his help. So, you know, the neighbor that they were to love in Jesus' story turned out not to be the people around us, the people who are like us, our neighbors. The neighbors turned out to be the despised Samaritan, the people who are not like us, those we don't feel comfortable associating with. Those were the neighbors that we were to be loving. I'll, I'll come back to this in a moment. But in John 13 and in John 15 passages, the object of our love is clear. It's the church. It's those who are disciples of Jesus, those whom Jesus calls friends. New believers need to understand that biblical love is not just about an emotion. It's about laying down your life for people. You lay down your life for your friends, but also for the church, for those that God has placed you in community with in, in the context of church. Now, laying down our lives may not literally mean dying for someone else, though in some rare circumstances it may, and in some parts of the world it does. In our context, generally speaking, it doesn't mean actually dying for someone, but it may. But at the very least, it means that we allow ourselves to be put out for the sake of someone else. You know, we say to someone, oh, well, I don't want to put you out. You know, we offer to do something. They, oh, well, I don't want to put you out. You know, well, actually, being put out is a basic measure of love in this kingdom. That's what it means. You know, it means we lay down our life. We allow ourselves to be put out for one another. We do things that actually inconvenience ourselves a bit for the sake of somebody else. That's what love means. So we should be prepared to do whatever it takes, within reason, to show love to someone in the church. I say within, within reason. There are limits. I mean, even Jesus took time out to go and spend time with his father. Even Jesus took time out to rest. We, 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 you know, people can make demands on you, and you could be flying around. Uh, and um, and running yourself into the ground, and that's not good, and that's not right either. So there are limits, but there is a sense of we put ourselves out for one another. And new believers need to understand that how important it is to love other disciples. Jesus commands it. He says, by this, you, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But the context is clear. It is talking about disciples. We are disciples of Jesus, and if we love one another, that in itself is evangelistic. That in itself points people to Jesus. So we're called to love God. We're called to love one another. But we're also called not just to love the church and our friends. You know, one would hope that anyone, everybody loves their friends. We're also called to love the church. That would be a new concept for new believers. 
but we're called to love the world, to show mercy to all. Now, again, before any clever clogs comes and says to me, ah, but in 1 John 2.15, it says, do not love the world um, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Yes, it does say that in 1 John 2.15. Um, and that is referring to, if you like, loving wealth, loving fame, loving prosperity, loving being selfish, love, you know, loving the things that the world kind of calls important. That's what that's talking about. I don't mean loving the world in that sense. We love the world in the sense of God so loved the world. That's what it says. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the sense that we are to love the world in the way that God loves the world, okay? So not in the sense that's been referred to in, in 1 John 2.15. And if we, love, if we love the things that the Father loves, then in the right way, we will love the world. You know, I've said this before. Oh, my lights have gone out. Oh, there we go. Yes, we go. And I, oh, sorry, that's, that's the uh, Good Samaritan story. I meant to click on that and I didn't. Um, okay. I'll say this again. If friendship evangelism only results in your friends hearing the gospel, then only your friends will be saved. But the gospel is for everyone, not just for our friends. It's great that we want to share the gospel with our friends. But we need somehow to find those who are not our friends, who are not like us. They are like, if you like, the Samaritan to us. We don't know them. Maybe we wouldn't naturally associate with them, just as Jews wouldn't naturally associate with Samaritans. But somehow we need to find a way to meet them with the gospel. That's a challenge, and we can't do that in our own strength. We need God's strength to do that. New believers need to understand that the challenge is first to share the good news with their friends and their family. And that's why in the 411 training that we did, and we'll be doing some 411 training in the new year, in January or February, visitors, Google 411 training, you'll find it helpful, okay? In our 411 training, four questions, one sheet of paper, one hour. Um, we teach people to write down their oikos, which is not a yogurt. Um, it's, a, it's a Greek word that means household or uh, family, you know, relational network. We get people to write down their relational network and pray for them regularly. Okay, that's, that's what we get people to do. So we start with those that we know, we pray for them, and then we share the gospel with them, probably using the three circles. That's the first thing we do. So we would teach new believers that they need to be praying for those in their relational network. And then, secondly, we would want them to find others that they can share the good news with. As Romans 10, 13 15 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Those who walk out to go and tell people about Jesus, even your feet are beautiful. Okay? But there's a clear implication there that God wants us to share good news with people so that they can hear and believe and be saved. Okay? Without that, perishing. Without that, they're lost. So there is a duty on us, but also a duty on us to teach new believers, actually, we need to be loving the lost. Now, there are practical things that we can do also in showing love. We can feed the hungry, the soup run, clothe the poor, befriend the lonely, visit the prisoner, pray for the sick. There's all sorts of practical ways that we can express love to people, just, just befriending people, just getting alongside them. But let's, let's never substitute those things in place also, not instead of, but also sharing the gospel. If we never actually get to the stage where we can somehow share the gospel with someone, then we've shortchanged them. Because we've not given them an opportunity to hear about Jesus and be saved. And that's what we want. We want our friends to be saved, don't we? We want our friends to know the joy and, and the goodness of God, the mercy that we've experienced ourselves. We want that. So let's not shortchange people. Let's find ways also of sharing good news. So in, in conclusion, we're going to finish, perhaps if uh, Rachel, if you want to come and just finish with a song. Um, in conclusion, then we love God. And we worship him. We love one another. We put ourselves out for one another as the church. And we love the lost in practical ways, but more importantly, by sharing the good news of Jesus. Let's make sure that we, we do these things as, as a family. You know, we were just, uh, while the musicians want to come up, I just want to finish with the, we were at a conference, Teresa and I, yesterday, um, and it was the commission leaders, and, um, and Mike Pilavacci was speaking, who was really good, really funny. Some very, very funny stories, but some also, I mean, I, I kind of, I didn't know whether I was crying or laughing some of the time. Um, it was a bit of crying, really. Um, but also there was a, a time where we, we could go and get prayed for. with were 10-minute slots for people to go and get prayed for and prophesied over. And, and we got prayed over and prophesied over. Uh, and they really, the prophecies that we brought, they were personal to us, but, but they really were in line with some other prophecies that have already been brought to us. And it was just so, so encouraging. But one of the things Mike Pellevacci was saying was, the biggest thing we can be as churches is family. We can do all sorts of things. We can go to this conference, that conference, learn this strategy, that strategy, do this, that, or the other. But the thing that ultimately wins people is when we are family. Simple that, isn't it? We can do that. We do that well. Preach the gospel as well. Tell people about Jesus. But let's never lose sight of the fact of being family together. Amen? Rachel.